Uh, this morning I want to preach uh, this sermon, part 99. And you remember the theme of the sermon is the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I do love Jesus. I love Jesus. Amen. Anyone here who loves Jesus, let me see your hands. Hallelujah. And I can't get enough of Jesus. And... Uh, Singing this morning, John, was so wonderful. The Lord may bless you each time when you prepare for the songs. They really lift, lifting us up. It lifted me up this morning. Hallelujah. I'm speaking this morning on the, thing, uh, on the theme, Things That Matter. Things That Matter. There are many things in life, they don't matter. Whether, I don't know, whether the magpies won or not. It doesn't matter to me. Or, or any club has won. doesn't matter to me. There are so many things which don't matter and we think they do. No. Things Jesus says, they do matter. They do matter. And I want to speak this morning on things that matter. And I'm reading from Luke chapter 20, the verses from uh, 45 to 47 and 21, 1 to 9. Luke chapter 20, from 45 on. And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, be aware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love uh, respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. I know I read this before I had this incident. You know, I, I remember what I preached then. I remember. And I just want to touch briefly on it. Not very much. And chapter 21, verse 1, a few verses down. And you looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. There were two leptas in Greek. And he said, truly I said to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all, out of their surplus, put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And while some were talking about the temple that was adorned with beautiful stones and motive gifts, he said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which these will not be left one stein, stone upon the other. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happening? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and your time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious word of Jesus. Lord, what you taught us this morning is so important, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you may bless us. I pray for myself, give grace to speak your word, Give grace to listen to your word and also to give grace 
to act upon your word. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. As Jesus was teaching the crowds, people were very attentive and listened to Jesus, what he said. Jesus was tackling a very complicated um, um, theme or issue. And if you remember this, you know, the issue was this. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And we know the story about the seven liberates, marriages this woman went through. I will explain to you. According to the law in Moses, if a brother or a man married and he had no children, then this widow should marry the next online of the brothers. And there were seven brothers. And the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. And they thought, I'm going to give Jesus, or we are giving Jesus a nice, tricky question. All these seven brothers had, sh had her as a wife. Now in the resurrection, can you tell me whose wife will she be? There are seven brothers that will fight for her. And Jesus gives the explanation. And we know that I preached about it then before I had my little incident. And uh, so Jesus gave the answer. And uh, interesting, Jesus not often got the thumbs up. But this time Jesus got the thumbs up. Did you know in verse 39, somebody said, and there was a scribe. He said, teacher, you have spoken well. Thumbs up for Jesus. You have spoken well. And even for him, all of a sudden became clear. It is not that way as the Sadducees thought. They will fight about his wife. There's no fight in heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. And so Jesus said, and he, this teacher or this scribe says, Teacher, you have spoken well. I think Jesus always speaks well. Amen. And he always was right. Hallelujah. Now listen to, what, to this. If you want to have the attention of people, tackle hard to understand issues. And you will have them. They will listen. How is it? I, 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 I want to know it. And it's so important. Now, Jesus tackled another issue. Now you say, the Son of Man or the Messiah is the Son of David. And how is it then? David says in one of the Psalms, My Lord has said to me, Sit at my right hand till I make the enemies for your footstool. How can he speak there, my Lord, and you say, he is the son of David? How can it be? And we tackled this issue too, didn't we? You remember that? We tackled it. Now, Jesus has spoken well, and Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. And you sang it this morning. You sang it, the Son of Man and Son of God. I remember this song in German, Schönste Herr Jesus, Herrscher aller Enden. Only Germans have understood it. But that's what we sang this morning. Fair is Lord Jesus. And in the song, real theology came about. And it was this. Son of man and son of God. Hallelujah. I know this is a kind of blasphemy for the Muslims. They don't like it. They don't believe that Jesus was the son of God and son of man. He was the son of Mary. That's what they say. And they have got a funny story when Mary gave birth to her son, Isa, as the Muslims call him. Now Jesus said, be aware of the, of the scribes. I call it a hollow ministry. 
a hollow ministry. It was somewhere in a city there was on the corner of a street, a public scale. You know these old public scales, that big they were. You know, from cast iron, and you could put a dollar in or whatever, and then you stepped onto that scale, and the needle went up. And then you could read how much you weighed. And there were some boys around in the street, perhaps somewhere in England, I don't know, and they observed people stepping onto that scale. And I have to say, in defense of this person, the scale was broken. But somebody came there and stepped on, and then the boys rushed quickly after he went, rushed quickly, and look what this person weighed. And it was on zero. And he said to his mates, he must be hollow. It's zero. There's some ministry, many, many ministries, they are somehow hollow. They have a big appearance to the outside, but they are hollow. And that's what Jesus meant here. The, Phar the Pharisees, the scribes, beware of the scribes. And he counts what they did. And Jesus means very clearly that our ministry never ever might become hollow. A big name and there's no power within us. And I say, Lord Jesus, I want to be a man that serves you under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, well, if these scribes would have stepped on the scales of God, it would have read many, many take you perceive. You have been waited, and you have been waited, and you are wanted. That means nothing shows up. There are so many ministries that is hollow inside. They have no Jesus to preach. They have no salvation to preach. All they have is just big words. If these ministries would step on God's scale, it would be, and I must repeat it, many, many take of you perceive. That's what it was there in chapter 5 in Daniel. When Darius was in his room of festivity, all of a sudden a hand appeared on the wall and wrote down these words. Nobody could interpret these words, but Daniel came and interpreted these words. You have been weighed on a scale, but found wanting. Now, who were these scribes? In German, we call them Schriftgelehrte. Sounds good in German, yeah? Schriftgelehrte. These were people who were taught in the scriptures. Scribes. They were perhaps also writing the scriptures. That means uh, multiplying and so on. And they were expected to be great uh, men with wisdom and understanding, teachers of the scripture. It goes back for the time or to the time from the exile. And there was one scribe, do you remember one scribe? When, the, uh, when Israelites came back or Judah came back from Babylon, there was one scribe. Who remembers one scribe? Pardon? Ezra. Ezra, the inventor of the pulpit. Did you know that? Yes. He stood a little bit higher. And then he was preaching, reading the word of God. And when the, when the Jews from Babylon heard the word of God for the first time after 70 years, they were crying and rejoicing. That was revival. That was revival. Their hearts were bound to the word of God, to God so closely. And they cried and cried. And the Bible says you couldn't distinguish whether they were crying or rejoicing. 
That's what I call revival. In such a revival, I want to be part of. Where sinners are crying over their sins, and after they have received Jesus, rejoicing in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah! Now I can understand it. Now I can believe it. My sins have been forgiven. Amen, John? My sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. That's revival. That's revival. Hallelujah. Now, at the time of Jesus, these so-called scribes, they even didn't know who Jesus was. The most important things of the whole Bible. Now, if you read the Bible, right from Genesis 3, 15 on, and through the whole Bible, you will see there's one person, the major person, who is that? The Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the major person in the Bible. Now, these scribes who should know the Bible, the Scripture, they should know who Jesus was. Thirty years before the time of Jesus, the scribes didn't know who Jesus was. I give you, I prove it to you. Matthew chapter two, verse four. You remember when the four wise men from the east came to Herod, and they said, "Well, we have come." To worship the king of the Jews. We have seen his star. We have come to worship him. And Herod had no idea that there was a king born in his state. And he was scared of it. Who knows what this king will do to me? And Herod got all the priests and all the scribes together. So now you search the scripture for me where this new king is being born. And the scribes, and we read there together, they are gathering together all these chief priests and scribes of the people. They inquired, or he inquired of them, where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem, Judah. In Bethlehem, Judah. Now these scribes came to the right answer. They knew where Jesus was, who the Messiah was, where he was to be born. Then 30 years ago, when Jesus was born, they know or they knew who Jesus was. But now they didn't know anything and if they would have known it, they didn't believe in him. And Jesus said, for they will receive greater condemnation. And Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 52, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. What a tragic word, isn't it? Woe to your lawyers and scribes. You have taken away the key of knowledge. Actually, you should have opened up the scripture to the people that the people should see and understand who Jesus is and understand the scripture and the will of God. You should have done it. But they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't enter the kingdom of God. Neither were they helping people to enter. I want to help anyone to enter the kingdom of God. Amen? That's our task, Pastor Gary. That's our task. Hallelujah. And each time I've led somebody to Jesus, I had perhaps more joy than that person because I was rejoicing in God. I was rejoicing in God, and I'm still rejoicing. 
They took away the key of knowledge and have hid it. They were supposed to open the scripture and bring the knowledge to the people. And you know, James chapter 4 verse 17. You should remember the scripture. says there's something. Therefore, the one who knows the, the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is what? What? To him it is sin. If you know the right thing to do and if you don't do it, it is sin to you. It is sin to you. Remember this. That's why they were so sinful. They had the key 30 years ago, but they have lost the key. Perhaps at the time of Jesus, they just didn't want to follow Jesus. They were not prepared to follow him and to give up all the luxury they had and they enjoyed in their life. They are going to be judged with a more severe judgment than the others. They didn't enter the kingdom of God. And they hindered those who wanted to enter. They said, well, this is not for you. This is not for you. You, are not, you don't understand the whole thing. You don't understand the scripture. This is not for you. And these scribes Jesus is speaking about, they will have more severe judgment. Devouring widows' houses and so on. Now I'm touching here something which is very important. Did you know that widows and orphans were under special care from God? Hallelujah. I'm an orphan. Did you know that? I'm an orphan. <laughs> my father, my mother, they are dead. Passed away already. I'm an orphan. That's why the Lord looked after me so wonderfully when I had this incident, you know. Hallelujah. God looks after orphans and widows. I hear some more orphans. All the orphans. I want to see the orphans. Yes. And I, I want to see all the widows. All the widows. We are under God's special care. Read in the Old Testament. God gave widows a special attention. Now on these men, these scribes, they were devouring the houses of the widows. <laughs> and it could be understood twofold. Perhaps they offered intercession for them for very expensive gifts. That means if you want me to pray for you, it costs you this much. Or a, a nice gift. Or they demanded expensive food when they came for counseling. Counseling is a horrible, horrible word. I hate this word. There are so many people who wanted to become counselor in the kingdom of God. We only have one counselor. Amen. And who is this? Who knows the greatest counselor? Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There is no Christian psychology. There is no Christian psychology, amen, hallelujah, but there is a word of God, amen, hallelujah. Today, if you're a little bit lazy and don't like to work, you go to a Bible college and you go for a few weeks there and then you get a certificate, counseling certificate. Forget about this stuff. Forget about Oh, I know only one counselor is Jesus Christ. Whenever I had problem, I went to him. And he counseled me always 
always right. Amen. What do you say? Yes. Hallelujah. He is. Now, Jesus was telling, and he was observing people, how they were giving their money into the treasury. Giving to the Lord. This is a very important matter. What is a God-pleasing offering? Some stingy Christians. You can have sometimes stingy Christians in churches. I, I don't like I don't like stinginess. And they might say, well, the offering of this widow was more than all the others put in. Yes, and we want to look into why is Jesus praising the offering of this poor widow? Was it because it was a little only? There were two only two Greek leptas. A penny perhaps. Two pennies. And something, oh, see, God is happy if you give him only the minimum. See, the widow, she was praised by Jesus. She put in more than all the others. Did she? Money-wise, no. But it goes deeper than the money. Hallelujah. What we give to God is more counting than what is on the money we give. If we give money to the Lord. There's something else that counts more. And Jesus said all the others gave off their surplus. Something they, they couldn't hold in their bags because their bags were full of money and it flowed over and it flowed over and over and, and that's what he gave. And that's why I learned it very early in my ministry and our teacher, the teachers in Bible college taught us one thing. The kingdom of God is not being built by millionaires but by orphans and widows. Do you understand what I mean? And that was so deeply put into my heart. Don't look, Werner, don't look for millionaires in the church. They don't give anything because they're perhaps too stingy. If not, if they're really born again, then also their wallet has been born again too. Turn all the way over, you know. But that's what I learned. Hallelujah. And I learned that even widows and orphans, they give more as they can. They don't give out of their surplus. No, they gave. And this woman, she gave all she had to live on. Have you ever, Werner Schultz, have we ever given all we had to live on? Perhaps the next day for this woman, there was a fasting day. She gave all she had to live on. There was no money left for the next day to eat. I had many fasting days in my ministry. Also sometimes because of lack of money. When you were talking about the wooden spoons, my dear brother John, I hope you use it also for cooking sometimes, yes? <laughs> yes. Now she gave everything. The next day she had nothing for next day. And Jesus said, she gave out of her poverty. Can poor people add something to the kingdom of God? Yes, they can. Their heart counts more than what is written on the money. Amen? Hallelujah. Do we have poor people here? Or do we have widows and orphans here? Yes. I'm an orphan. Widows, God will bless you. Hallelujah. And she said, she gave everything she had. Did you know money and wealth is deceit? 
people, listen, money and wealth is deceitful. Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew chapter 13. Write it down, verse 22b. And the one on whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. And the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word and it becomes what? Unfruitful. This widow got rid of everything that would make the word of Jesus unfruitful. She didn't have much. The value of the money doesn't count with God. Amen? Although there are some people who write a book, you need more money. And they call themselves preachers too. If this preacher would have written a book, you need more of Jesus. I would say, hallelujah, God bless this man there in Sydney. But instead he wrote a book, you need more money. Anybody here who needs more money, read this book, he will tell you. But I'm going to read the Bible, amen? Hallelujah. Deceitfulness or deception of wealth and money. Now, people who gave all to Jesus, all to Jesus, I surrender. And that's so important, very clearly. Did you know the gospel does not report of great heroic deeds that happened, of world-changing events? But you find things in the Bible. But the Bible speaks, or the New Testament, or the Gospel, speaks about a cup of water. Have you read about it? A cup of water. I can give you the scripture in Matthew 25, 37. And then the one, he said, Lord, when have you seen thirsting? When have you, se- when have you seen in prison? And when did we do all these things? When was it? And Jesus, whatever you have done to one of the least, you have done it to me. And there's a cup of water also being named. So a cup of water is perhaps more than a thousand dollar bill you put in the offering. Because your heart is behind it. Hallelujah. Do you understand me this morning? I'm not speaking against money. I'm just speaking against the false attitude of money. Now the Bible speaks about two Greek leptas. Two copper monsters. Uh, coins. And Jesus says, she has given more than all the others. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Bible speaks also about the costly perfume of Mary. You read it in the gospel? You know the story? Mary, she came to Jesus when he was in the house of the rich man, Simon. And she snuck in because there was a meeting, a special meeting. Of course there was a special meeting. A man who was dead, who was in a meeting too. Lazarus, he was dead. He was there at a special meeting. And they came all perhaps to see Lazarus. But then Mary, she came and she stuck in. Jesus was declining or reclining at the table. Say, you know what reclining is, yeah? Laying down. And his feet were to that side. And she came and she had a wonderful perfume. She broke this glass or this and poured it on the feet of Jesus and, and anointed the feet of Jesus. The Bible speaks about that. The Bible speaks about 
five loaves of barley bread and two fish. And this story caught my interest. This story caught my attention. And the Bible speaks of a widow in Sarepta. You know the story in chapter 17, 1 Kings. The Lord spoke to Elijah. Anybody knows Elijah? Your little son Elijah. May he become a son Elijah. I somehow like Elijah and John the Baptist. I've got a weakness. Of course, Jesus is the greatest. I've got a weakness for these two men of God. Why? Why? I will tell you why. Because I love their decisiveness. When they decide, decisive, and the word is spoke, they didn't fear any king or any people. They spoke as it was. Hallelujah. And sometimes I think, Lord, I want to become like one of them. And hopefully I always was preaching the word of God clearly. Some know, know me a few years here, don't you? And hopefully I was a preacher of the word of God, like Elijah or like John the Baptist. Oh boy, oh boy. He had the guts to stand up to the king and say, it's not right that you have your brother Philip's wife. It's not right. This interested me as fascinated me as a boy already. I, I read my Bible when I was a young boy. I had my Bible on my chest reading. And when I was reading the Bible, these men of God somehow impressed me. They said the things as it was. And they were clear. And the Bible says there, Arise, go to Sarepta which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. There was not a millionaire, was there? No. He didn't say, go into the millionaire's house, and he's got an apartment for you, and every morning you will have your food and so on. Rich food and everything. No, I have commanded a widow. I've commanded a widow, and the widow was at such a low point financially. He came into the city, at the, the gate of the city. He found this widow, and he asked at first just for a cup of water. And she gave him the cup of water. And he said, well, and make me also something to eat. She turned around and said, I don't have much. I have just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil but she did it for him and then what a word of prophecy came hallelujah these are men of God not those as David Wilkinson once reported he was in a church somewhere or, or among pastors I don't know and some pastors they were bragging about, take the last penny, a last five dollar from the widow. Don't worry about us. Elijah took the last thing. But I said, but Elijah didn't take the last thing. But he prophesied that the jar will not be empty. There will be found flour. And there will be oil always. Hallelujah. If you take the last five dollars of a widow, make sure that you get a clear and a full jar of flour and a full jar of oil. Make sure she gets that. Don't touch the five dollars there. Don't take it. Hallelujah. Do you understand what Jesus means here? You understand it? Hallelujah. Now there was a little boy. When I come in, I see our two 
boy standing here. There's Matthew and his friend Andrew. Andrew almost crawls right into the corner. And all of a sudden he comes forward and he gave me this morning the bulletin. As I read the scripture, and I can't help, I'm not just reading the word, I'm reading with my heart and with my mind. And I can see sometimes more. Now you know the, the story of this little boy. They were in Bethsaida, and Jesus was preaching, and it was long preaching, and it was dark, and the people say, uh, the disciples said, send him home because it's getting dark and people are hungry. And Jesus says, you, you give them something to do, to, to eat. And where should we go? And then somebody said, oh, there is a, a lad. There's a lad, and he has got five barley bread and two fish. And Jesus took it. Now this story of this lad caught my interest and caught my imagination. I like young lads. If they're really, really burning for Jesus, they can be a blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I once was a young lad. Well, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 13 years old. And my the elderly ladies in church, they somehow liked me. And when I was singing in church, I was singing aloud like Andrew when he sits there. You should see him from the front. He is singing loud. And boy, can he sing. So that type of guy I was then. And I thought about it. And I imagine this story about a young lad. Let's call him Jonathan. You agree? Let's call him just Jonathan. And Jonathan, he was just a lad. And one day he might have said to his mom, Mom, I'm going fishing through the river Jordan. And he liked fishing. Every boy likes fishing. Matthew, you too? Oh, not really. But he went fishing. And while he was fishing, this is my imagination. It's not written in the Bible. But my imagination. My thoughts went with this boy. And he was throwing out his, his gear. But a little bit further up straight stream, there was a man in the Jordan. And he was preaching. He looked and outside very rough. And he was preaching, repent because before, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And he saw what was going on there. People went into the Jordan and got baptized. He saw all these things. And then he heard of him. Somebody is amongst you. I'm not worth of him. He was before me but I'm not worthy of, him, worthy of him to undo his laces. But he, I'm only baptizing you in water, but he is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Hallelujah. Jonathan, he was listening. And all of a sudden, he might have seen a man stepping into the water towards John. And they had a little bit of a chat and spoke to each other. And then he baptized him. And something happened. The heaven opened. The Spirit of God came down in the form of a dove and settling on Jesus. It was too much for this young boy. He saw it. He saw it. Behold, the Lamb of God 
John called all this wealth that takes away the sin of the world. Jonathan took it in his heart from this moment on. From this moment on, his eyes were more or less on John the Baptist than on his fishing line. Somehow he was drawn like a magnet to John the Baptist and he found himself standing before him in the water and he asked, Let, what do you want? I want to be baptized and I have to confess my sin. I took some money from my mother's purse. Can God forgive me? Can God forgive me? And then he got baptized. Go home and tell your mom, confess it to her. And he came home and reported all these things to him, to his mom. Mom, what I saw today, that was so incredible. And I can't do any better. I want to follow Jesus. I love Jesus. I've seen him. I've seen him. I love Jesus. I want to serve him. And perhaps after a few weeks later, he heard about Jesus is coming to Bethsaida. Have you read in the Bible the place Bethsaida? Yes. And he said, Mom, tomorrow I want to go to Bethsaida. It's a little bit far from us, but Jonathan, I'm going to make a picnic lunch for you. Take it with you. Five loaves of barley bread and two fish. Take it with you. And he came there. And some friends saw him going away. Where do you go? I'm going to Jesus and Bethsaida. Don't you want to come with us today to the pudding game? He said, no. I don't want any pudding, pudding game. I want Jesus. I want to listen to Jesus. Hallelujah. These are the guys God can use who want to listen to Jesus and are not interested in the things of the world. Hallelujah. Do we have some young men here? If not, become one. Become one. And he went there. And finally he came to the throng. Many people followed Jesus into a vast area. There was lots of grass. And Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. And Jonathan couldn't get enough. Every word he listened said, that's what I want. That's what I want. And whenever Jesus opened his mouth, he opened his ears. He wanted to hear what Jesus says. He didn't care about the footy or the, all the garbage in the world and the newest film in the cinema. All these things. He didn't care for these things. He wanted to hear what Jesus has to say. He didn't have time for, for his lunch. He still had a five loaves of barley and the two fish in his pocket. God, God, God. And all of a sudden he heard there was something going on around Jesus. The disciples spoke to him. And then one disciple came to Jesus. What is your name? My name is Jonathan. I've got here five loaves of barley bread. And I've got here two fish. Can you use them somehow? And when Jesus heard it, he said, bring them. Hallelujah. Bring them. And he brought it to Jesus. And Jonathan saw his fish lifting up by Jesus. And he prayed over it. And his five loaves of, of barley bread. This is mine. I gave it to Jesus. Jesus blessed it. 
And he said to this disciple, hand it out, hand it out. And he might have thought, perhaps, I don't know, will that be enough for all these people? Will they touch this few fish I had in warm in my pocket some <laughs> somehow? Will they still eat it? Does it matter to Jesus? If he is doing a miracle, it's a proper miracle, amen? A proper one. He saw the fish dangling in the hands of Jesus and his five loaves of barley bread. He blessed it and they were sitting at, at 50 in the grass and it came around to him as well. And he looked, there's still enough fish and still enough bread. And he took something and ate as well. And the Bible said, the Bible said, they all got fed. They all had enough food. Praise the Lord. And then Jesus said something else. Of course, Jonathan came home and reported the story to his mother. Mom, you should have been there today. It's worth it going after Jesus and listen to him. Now, I tell you what, money does not build eternal values. Can I hear an amen? Money does not build eternal values. It's not against our, our treasure, our dear brother. <laughs> Perhaps next Sunday we will have barley loaves and some fish in the offering bag. But if that all you had, the Lord can use it. And we can use it perhaps for our next agape meal, I don't know. But one thing is for sure, money does not build eternal values. And Jesus said something. And people were looking around and said, Master, look at this. Look at the temple, all the wonderful stones and everything. And Jesus said, now these things you're looking at in a, in a short time, they will not be standing on top of each other. They will all be broken down. Because the temple was built in 46 years by Herod. You know, Herod, he was not a real Jew. And he wanted to do and wanted somehow put up and push up his, his image in front of the people that he might get some glory. And he put them a nice temple with stones framed in gold. And people looked at it Ah, how impressive it was. How impressive. And Jesus said, look at this. And Jesus said, well, these stones you're looking at, they will not be staying on top of each other. And Jesus is prophesying. And now these stones and the money was given by perhaps millionaires, I don't know. Because all the stones were framed with a golden frame. That's a lot of money. A lot of dust, I can tell you. This widow couldn't have brought it there. They were rich people. And Jesus says something, they will not stay on top of each other. Is God not looking after his temple? God doesn't care about temples built in that way. He cares about every single soul. Hallelujah. And the greatest price God gave and it counts in the eyes of God is the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How does Jesus evaluate these things? As for these stones, he said, which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon the other which will not be torn down. 
history tells us in 78 day when Jerusalem fell and the temple was burned because the soldiers from Titus they looked at the stone pure gold in order to get to that gold they took a crowbar broke every stone, stone down. They wanted to get to that. Who got that gold? Who got that gold previously, years and years before, since supposedly giving to the kingdom of God? You tell me, who got this gold? Who? You're right. This gold was not for the glorification of God. A broken heart before God is more valuable than tons of gold. And that's what Jesus is pointing here. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus is pointing here. There are some people who believe we are living in the last days. Anybody? Believes with me we are living in the last days. Yes, hallelujah, hallelujah. People say we are living in the last days. There will be a great revival. It, 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 it's already, already going on. Beg your pardon? Don't you see all these things? Thousands and thousands of young people getting together and they're singing and making music and they have their sleeves up and tattooed here over here, and they play the guitar and dancing around, and they're singing all these songs. There is revival. Many young people come to Australia to see revival. And I'm going to give you a prophecy like Jesus said. These may be a lot of people gathering on one place. Maybe and the money has been given perhaps by very, very rich people. Perhaps by people who own Gloria Dream or Dream Gloria Glory. What is the copy? What is it? Gloria Dream. Given by these people. The day will come where you will see perhaps many are million dollar so-called ministry will fall down to the ground and others will come with a crowbar and pick out the gold for the glory of God. single soul that comes to Jesus with a broken heart. Do you understand the word of a broken heart? Do you understand it? What does it mean? Inside totally crushed. A heart is broken before God. And if a sinner repents, and this heart, if it comes to Jesus, there is more glory than in all the gold and all the mesmerizing so-called Christian rock music played by young men with tattoos on their arms. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming soon. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, you showed us things which really matter in your sight. Lord, I thank you that you will bless us, Father, that we might not look at money, that we might look at you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for all the money you provided for the church to keep going and do the work, Lord, we have done, and that we are able to support ministries, Lord Jesus, overseas. 
And I thank the Lord for everything. But here I am. All I want to do is to serve you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. You're still alive? Yeah? You didn't fall asleep, did you? No. God bless you. Hallelujah. The Lord is good.